Welcome to TechPoint Foundation for Youth's STEMcast, sponsored by Roche. Each episode, we sit down with an expert in the STEM industry to get the answers to questions students like me want to know. Roche Diagnostics is a proud sponsor of the STEMcast. Roche Diagnostics has been a part of the Indianapolis landscape since 1964. More than 4,000 employees work to provide insights that help people around the world manage and improve personal health conditions, leading in the development of diagnostic products for cancer, cardiac health, infectious diseases, women's health, and diabetes management. Roche is a proud supporter of TechPoint Foundation for Youth and the Advancement of STEM Education. Today, we're chatting with Chris from Halo 4. Let's begin. I'm Chris. I'm a chemist by training. I got my PhD at Indiana University. And now I run a startup out of Indianapolis called Halofor. And we're commercializing technology that I worked on when I was just after my graduation as a PhD candidate. That is awesome. Do you like chemistry then, I'm assuming? Yeah, uh, (laughs) I, I didn't always. Honestly, one of the most common things I hear from people when I tell them that I'm a chemist is they say, I, oh, I hate chemistry. And I can't blame a lot of people. Chemistry is not fun at first. It takes a lot of time to kind of to get into it and find something that really interests you. And like I said, I, this was a historical problem for me, too. I got absolutely murdered in my college freshman chemi- <laughs> yeah. chemistry class, but uh, I turned it around for organic chemistry the year after, and I haven't looked back since. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you enjoy science or chemistry or anything in the STEM field throughout high school or middle school in that, like really all of your education? Oh, for sure. I think I've always kind of been a nerd because there's this picture that my mom has of me when I was like five years old and I was posted up in front of the TV watching Ghostbusters, the the movie. Yeah. And I think that that movie... The idea of scientists running around with lasers chasing ghosts and that kind of thing really just kind of crept into my brain. And uh, I was uh, just hooked on science and other nerdy stuff like that for the rest of my life. And in high school in particular, you know, you start to get serious about these things. And that's when I found myself moving towards a STEM career. I hear from young people you know, why am I taking this class? When am I ever going to use this? I I understand why people think that way. They're like, I, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a doctor. And so I don't need to learn about the French American war, what, you know, some, some boring historical event. Right. And I, I have, I have two responses to that. One, one response is that you really never know where you're going to end up. So Speaking from my own experience, my undergraduate and my college degree, I got a double major in biology and English. I got my PhD in chemistry, and now I'm working on lasers. And there's no way that I could have predicted that this was going to be my path when I started, when I graduated high school or you know, when I was in middle school or something like that. And so don't, don't make the mistake of assuming that you know what's going to be useful later on. The other comment that I'd make, though, is that I'm a a scientist. I I don't do a lot of engineering, but um, there are a couple of things that make for a good scientist. 
And I think that the the natural expectation would be the things that make a good scientist is that you're good at science class, that you're good at remembering science facts, that your brain is essentially hardwired to be a science machine, right? But in reality, particularly if you're a research scientist like I am, you have to be very well-rounded. A good scientist is creative. And when you're in high school or even throughout you know, parts of college, you're not going to have the opportunity to become good at being a scientist. So where do you get these skills from? Well, you get these skills from these other classes. You work out your creativity when you're in English class. A good scientist also has to have a good attention to detail. And so how do you do that? Well, you take a class like history where you're required to know a very specific series of events, some dates, some places, this kind of thing. You know, it's not enough in a history class to say, oh, some things just happened. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we know. Um, and it's the same thing in science. It's not enough to say, oh, some things just happened. It's like, no, no, what, what happened in what order in what quantity at what rate? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of going off of that. What is something you learned in high school or middle school even that you thought was useless at the time, but now looking back on it, you're very grateful for it? I wasn't a very good student for a lot of my my younger life. I was way more interested in Star Trek than, you know, whatever I was studying in school for for a lot of the time. I kind of got switched on mentally in high school. And I think part of that was that I had teachers who encouraged my, my creative impulses. So it's easy to, to find yourself in school and feel weighed down by rules and expectations. And you don't really get a sense to express yourself or to have a sense of yourself. And I, I had a couple of teachers and they were English teachers mostly who were said things like, you know, write what you want do this project the way that interests you. And I gave it a try and then they got an A. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. So there, there's a there's a reward cycle here now all of a sudden where I can start to kind of trust in myself. So uh, I don't know. So I don't know that there's a specific topic or discipline in school, but uh, definitely the, the sense given to me by my teachers to kind of trust my instincts was invaluable. Yeah, it's very important. What is a failure of yours that has taught you something? This is something I've been thinking about a little bit lately. And I think the best way to address this is to like to bring up that I'm a researcher. So it's my job to come up with new cool ideas. And I've always been pretty good at that. I've always had ideas kind of bubbling up through my brain. This one time when I was in graduate school, I had this great idea for a chemistry project, and I knew it was going to be just a huge deal if I could make it work. What I was trying to do was build a motor that was the size of a single molecule. And this is extremely small, very, very small. One, uh, a motor the size of a molecule would be 100,000 times thinner than a hair on your head. So this is you know, a very small thing. And I spent a lot of time trying to make this motor work even though over time it became more and more obvious that it, it just, this project wasn't going to go anywhere. And the hard lesson I learned about research there was that I took too much time working on this project because I wouldn't let it go. You know, lots of great ideas just won't work. And that's okay. I mean, that's, that's how you learn. The important thing is not, oh, I'm never going to have a bad idea. Oh, I'm never going to make a mistake. The, the real problem is when you don't let go 
of a bad idea or you don't let go of something that's not going to work. It's hard to do because you'll you'll fall in love with an idea. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm still in love with this idea. I still think about it. This project was six years old now, and I still think about it. But what I'm not doing is I'm not working on it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm not putting any more effort into it. And it could have taken me, uh, you know, I could have spent years or maybe my life working on this thing. And letting go of that was just painful, but incredibly necessary. And I would, I would say that for people who are working on projects that they're, they're just trying to make it, just try to make it go, try to make this thing work out somehow, but it's not going to happen is to understand the good side of this is that there's always going to be a new idea. There's always going to be something new. Something will come up that will be a new adventure for you to pursue. So don't be afraid of letting go of something because if you hold on to that, you're never going to make it to the new adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Aside from that project with the motor, what is one of the quirkiest or most interesting projects you've ever worked on? The the story here is the technology that we have in our startup company is a special kind of fluorescent material. So that's a material that emits light when it's hit with light. You know, so you, uh, if you imagine like a, a dark room at a party, they have a black light on and things are glowing, that's fluorescence. I had a theory that we might be able to utilize our material to make a very special, specialized kind of dye laser. And this is the project that I'm working on now. I'm working with uh, laser engineers from here in Indiana. I'm reading a lot of literature that's above my head, but I'm getting better at it and, and playing with tools that I would not have expected to be able to pursue before. And we're hoping that in a couple of years, this project will end up spitting out a new tool for people to use lasers in medicine. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like a fun project. Sounds interesting for sure. My young self would be very proud that I ended up working with lasers as a grown up. Yeah, it kind of, you know, carries on your Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can you explain a little bit on how the lasers would actually be used in the medical field? Sure. It sounds kind of space age. It almost sounds fictional to say lasers in medicine, but actually uh, lasers are a pretty common feature in some cutting edge research nowadays. So some of it's dermatological, like they'll use lasers to, to bleach out unpleasant spots of skin. Um, other times you can use it to, um, as, a, as a tool to remove cancerous materials or even treat blemishes like acne and that kind of thing. And the the thing that makes our laser special at the end of the day is that it has an interchangeable component to it that should allow it to treat a whole bunch of different conditions. So right, right now, a lot of medical lasers are kind of fixated on some very narrow applications because they only shoot out one color of light. You know, you, oh, if you think yeah. about a green laser pointer, a green laser pointer is only ever green. It doesn't you don't have the ability to change it into different colors. Well, with our technology, we think we're going to be able to make a laser where you can make make it shoot out a laser beam of any color that you want. And uh, that makes it easier for you to, as a physician to treat a wide range of different ailments that people might be coming to you with. What would the different colors do? Like what's the difference between a green laser and a red laser? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's a smart question. The different colors of light have different asp uh, different effects on tissue. So for instance, 
let's imagine you had like a, a bruise or something like that on your cheek. What you're seeing is discoloration that comes about as a result of, you know, blood vessels breaking in your cheek. And so the laser zaps that, breaks up the, the red pigmentation there. And over the course of a couple of days, your body reabsorbs the material that it, it broke up. Whereas a green laser, those are more useful against uh, brown spots on your skin. So let's say you had a troublesome freckle or something like that, and you wanted to try to bleach that so it wasn't going to be on your skin anymore. The, you use a green laser for that. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why the different colors are used for the different things. That's what the doctors are for. I'm just here, yeah. to, I'm just here to give them a laser gun. That's so cool. Oh, my goodness. What is your favorite part about working in the STEM industry? It's the the opportunity to see something new, passing into the unknown. So uh, if you think about um, the the first person in space was a Soviet cosmonaut named Yuri Gagarin. The first person on the moon was an American astronaut, Neil Armstrong. And each of those people found themselves looking at something that no human being had ever seen before. Yeah, they, the first time that somebody looked down at the earth from space or the first time that somebody looked out on the moon, you know, not everybody can go to the moon. Uh, and even if they did, yeah. I guess, you know, people have already been there before. Right. But um, the thing with the thing with research, the thing with STEM is that every time you make a new discovery or that you discover something new, you invent something new. What you're doing is uncovering something that's been a secret since forever or you're touching something that has never been seen or discovered before. And so in that brief moment, it's kind of like it's your turn to stand on the moon. You have the same opportunity to, to be like, wow, I am, I am the farthest into this space that any human being has ever had. And that's, you know, that's, that's really exciting. Uh, that's, it's, that's kind of the romantic idea of what STEM is about, for me at least. Yeah. When was your first aha moment or introduction to STEM other than when you were five years old watching um, <laughs> the movie? <laughs> other than other than Ghostbusters? Um, yeah. This was an important moment for me in high school. Uh, I was in my freshman year physical science class and the physical science class was split between physics and chemistry. Um, and I did fine in physics, but the chemistry class came around and I was doing I was doing great in chemistry. And like I said, this is kind of about the time where my, where my interest in education, everything really started to switch on. And this one day in class, our, our teacher comes up to the front of the class and he says, okay, you know, you all are doing these experiments and you're writing these lab reports. And I wanted to show you what a great lab report is like. And so he starts reading this lab report in front of class. And about a minute in, I realize, oh, he's reading my lab report. And he gets done reading and he says, so this, you know, this is what uh, I'm looking for from all of you in, in the lab reports going forward. And, and, I, and I felt pretty good. Uh, and then he walked over and dropped my lab report right in front of me in front of the class. And that was a little embarrassing. You know, you have to try to play it cool and pretend that not everybody is looking at you and uh, all this kind of stuff. Because up until that moment, it was a mystery about who the excellent lab report writer was, <laughs> but that was really, uh, you know, that was really a big moment for me because it was, I've got platformed to be highlighted for doing good work. And I was like, wow, I, I am really good at this, aren't I? Yeah. 
Kind of going off of that, what are some experiences or memories that have stuck with you to the current day? One of the other instigating events that kind of pushed me in in the right direction towards taking my my studies a little bit more seriously was a uh, a middle school teacher of mine who I was submitting assignments to her that were sloppy. You know, like my handwriting was sloppy. The work that was being done was sloppy. But she knew from talking with me that I was like understanding the material and that I just I wasn't putting the effort in. And so one day when she's handing back assignments to people, she gave me the assignment back, not having been graded and said, you have to stay after school tomorrow and do this paper right because I know you can do this. So, you know, come here and do this and we'll make, and I'll give you the grade you deserve. At the time I thought this was awful. You know, I was, yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, it turns out there, there was another, there was another student in the class who got pulled in to, to do the same thing. But after that, you know, I, this t- teacher had kind of put me on notice that it's like, uh, if you give me bad assignments, I'm not going to accept them. Uh, it made me self-conscious in a good way about the work that I was doing and about recognizing that it's like, okay, maybe, maybe if we're, if we try just a little bit harder, all that sloppiness will go away. And yeah, it worked out. Yeah. That's awesome. That's some good, um, good for that teacher, right? Yeah. She pulled you aside and she's like, you better get this together. Yeah. Thank you, Mrs. Johnson. <laughs> yes. Do you have anything else you'd like to share about what you're doing or what you've learned that you think would be helpful for any of the listeners? One thing that I would say is that uh, the importance of authenticity, because as I was talking to you before, ideas are kind of my thing, right? Like I, I like coming up with ideas. I'm, I'm constantly coming up with bad ideas and shooting them down and all this kind of stuff. But that um, you need to be authentic to yourself so you are able to express your ideas in, in a, in a pure form, like express an idea that you really believe in that really comes out of your own head. And those are going to be the best ideas that you have trying to make an idea that you think someone else is going to like is always going to be kind of hit or miss because you're not, you can't read other people's minds. One of the best things that you can do is to present what you have to offer very straightforwardly, very honestly. And that's going to help a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you to Chris from Halo Fort for joining us today. He taught us about what makes a good chemist and the teachers who shaped him into who he is today. We hope you learned something new. If you'd like to learn more about Tech Point Foundation for Youth and the thousands of students we serve in Indiana, or the programs we provide for STEM education, please visit techpointyouth.org.